Welcome to the MPC Podcast. I am Tim W. Gill, pastor of Medora Pentecostal Church, and I'm thrilled that you've joined us today. Here at MPC, we are committed to bringing hope and building lives. One way we do that is through this podcast. Thank you for listening, for sharing and reviewing what we do here. It is our desire to connect with you, and you can find us on Facebook, or you can find us at our website, medorachurch.com. It is our prayer that today's message inspires you, encourages you, and that the kingdom of God is advanced in your life. Let's get right to the word of the Lord today. Amen. Praise God. Get your Bibles. Let's get right to it tonight. We are moving to the sixth letter and our seventh lesson in this series on the church on fire, dealing with the seven churches that are in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 3, verse 7, and to the angel of the church of Philadelphia, write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name, Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world, to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come come quickly. Behold, I come quickly. Hold fast, which thou hast. Let no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Lord, we come to you today thanking you, Lord Jesus, for this opportunity, Lord, to be in your word. I pray, God, that you would direct us as we study, Lord, this particular church that you wrote a letter to. Lord Jesus, and, and, and we, we, we ask God that we would dissect it in a way that would bring a, a great understanding, that would bring to us revelation, Lord, and also that we can have principles to live by in Jesus' mighty name. Let everybody say amen. amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Our primary focus that we have been in this Church on Fire series has been the seven churches, and when we are finished with the seven churches, we are going to continue. I'm excited to tell you that uh, coming up 
soon, coming up the 24th, which is next Tuesday, and the 31st, Sister Gill will be speaking on your mind and your mouth. <clears throat> you can't be a church on fire if you don't mind your mouth. Praise God. If I don't mind, that's for me too. So, uh, But uh, we will continue after the series that, that we get through, when we finish with the seven churches, we're going to continue on with the church on fire in other areas. But this, this thought for the series of teaching on the seven churches has been in my heart for a long time, uh, just waiting for the right time to bring it to you. But Jesus has written directly to seven churches in seven cities, and each letter is broken down into three primary and main segments, as I see it. Number one, he gives to them a presentation, which is his revelation to the church. God speaks directly to the local church through the messengers, through the pastors, through the leaders, through the preachers. Do you know he still does that? He still does that. He speaks to the local church through those that he has called to lead the church or to teach in the church, to preach in the church, to be elders, pastors, messengers of the kingdom. So there's a presentation. Everybody say a presentation. That's the revelation of Jesus Christ to the church. Then there is a problem stated, a problem or a potential problem that each church needs to address so they can have victory. How many know you can't have victory until you address a problem? You can't have victory because victory, it means overcoming something. That's victory. You overcome something, then that is victory. But the, uh, Jesus gave each church accommodations, bragged on each church except one. Now, I don't know if they got to read all these other letters, but I'm feeling pretty much like, oh, this is rough. But that's, that's the next church we're going to talk about, and that's the church of Laodicea. He gave them zero praise. <clears throat> Make your day, wouldn't it? Jesus gave instruction to every church that had an issue, a problem, a potential problem, he gave them instructions on how to take care of that and how to deal with it. Only two churches out of the seven did not receive criticism at all. Only two of them, and that is Sardis. You remember the suffering church that we talked about. And then the second one is Philadelphia that we are talking about being the faithful church or the church that stands strong. The promise is the third part that is in each one of these letters, and that is the blessing to those that overcome. So every church, including Laodicea, including Thyatira that was messed up. Laodicea and Thyatira are two of the ones that, that, that I don't know if they get licensed in, in the ALJC or not. Every church, including Laodicea, Thyatira, every church received a promise if they overcome. So what does that tell us? Every church can have victory if they overcome the problem that they are facing in their, in their life. Amen. And we find that 1 John writes in John, 1 John epistle, uh, uh, 1 John 5 and 1, 
Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him, that begat loveth him, also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. Love is connected to obeying. But then he said in verse 4, And whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. Whatever is born of God, you're an overcomer. Hallelujah. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. There is power in your belief today. There is power in your belief in Jesus Christ to be an overcomer, to be a victor, amen, to have the superiority over your problem. Put it under your feet in Jesus' name. I know that the enemy of our soul has an aggressive and progressive plan to try to bring about our demise. He wants you defeated, but Jesus said, I want you an overcomer. Your destiny is not defeat. Your destiny is victory. Your destiny is that you're going to win by faith, amen, in Jesus Christ. Can you thank him that he's made you an overcomer? It's not about what you feel right now. It's not about how things look. You can be even, even on Thyatira that had Jezebel in the church. The Lord said, I'm going to give you a plan to overcome. Philadelphia. Athelus II founded the city of Philadelphia some 150 years before Christ. He had an older brother that he loved dearly, so in honor to his older brother, he named the city Philadelphia. Does anybody know what Philadelphia means? Anybody need, want, want to take a stab at it? Philadelphia means brotherly love. He loved his brother so much that he wanted to give him honor, and he called the city Philadelphia in honor of his love of his brother. That's an interesting uh, fact that you may not have known. I didn't, but I learned that. It was founded by Greeks to be a gateway to the east. It sat some 60 miles from Sardis on the same king's highway, that great trade route to Persia. The Greeks were devoted to bringing their culture before the Romans, there was the, 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 the Greek Empire, and the Greeks were very uh, interested in bringing their culture to the nations around them. They called it Hellenization. That means they would bring Greek culture, and so Philadelphia was like a central hub that they would bring it from Athens to Philadelphia, and then they would send it towards Persia and the other areas that they had conquered to bring about Hellenization. Do you know why Greek was the main language that was spoken in that time? Hellenization. Because the Greeks would go and they started their... their uh, pushing of their culture and their language. When Rome came in, they took the process to the next step, and they, they did something called colonization, and that was to bring the culture of Rome right to a town. They would bring whatever. That, that's why you have colonies. Remember colonies like uh, we had the 13 colonies. Do you know why we speak English? Because we were colonized by England. Why is it that Haiti speaks French? 
because they were colonized by the French. By, by French. And so whatever, whatever a country would go into, they would want to, would want to push their culture, their language on them. And so Philadelphia was a missionary hub for the Greeks, for the Romans. So it was very strategic. Matter of fact, it is called by some in history as the missionary city. But because it was Roman, because of the Greek influence, idolatry was very prevalent. By the first century, the city became very loyal to Rome and very loyal to emperor worship. It was a major part of their practice. And emperor worship was the state religion that you had to proclaim, Caesar is Lord. If you didn't proclaim Caesar as Lord, you would be in big trouble. So when they baptized in the name of Jesus in the early church, they were in a culture that was spousing Caesar worship. And what were they saying when they went down in the name of Jesus and not in the name of Caesar? They were saying, Jesus is Lord. He's God. He is God. Amen. The major religion or the major idol god that they worship in Philadelphia was a, a Roman god named Bacchus. Bacchus. Bacchus was the equivalent of the Greek god Dionysus. Bacchus was the god of unrestraint, wine-bibbing, revelry, religious ecstasy, and frenzied creativity. The Romans believed that Bacchus inspired his worship in their drunken stupors, freeing them to think and to act and to create in ways that would bring him honor and free their mind. Bacchus represented spontaneity and an escape from everyday life. Intoxicate. Now, I got this information off of a non Christian website. These are people that promote pagan ideology. I'm getting this information from them. They said that Baptists had many festivals. Creative arts was about the theater, was about open red poetry. Bacchus was also at times known by the name, I cannot pronounce it in the Greek, but some other Greek god, uh, and his name is a tribute to his ability to impart a sense of freedom to his followers and devotees, uh, to liberate them from self-consciousness, social conventions. The name reference is the feeling of unrestrained joy, and frolic that the people could enjoy under the effects of wine. Now, the same spirit that had this idol god Bacchus is still working today. It may not be an idol that has been given a name, but the same spirit behind revelry and, and partying and drunkenness and drugs to escape the, the, the things of life and to find a freedom in the arts and creativity is right here today. That same spirit works through alcohol. It works through other 
other habits and drugs and ways that people use to escape. Amen. And, 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 and they would tell us that Bacchus was not only the god of, of reveling and partying, but if you crossed him, if you did not do what, 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 what they said, these mythologies, they believed that he would come and, and, and have harsh consequence on your life. You would, there would be harsh consequence if you didn't worship Bacchus. Bacchus today, among Americans, age 12 years and older, 37 309, 30, over thir, almost, almost 37 and a half million are currently using illegal drugs right now. This is not those that are habitual. These are those that are, are addicted. So somewhere right at 40 million. And these are old stats in, in, in 2019 that I found. But, but the consequence of Bacchus is being affected today. Over 70,000 drug overdose death occur in the United States annually. 70,000 go out of this world because the same spirit of Bacchus is working today in our culture. You've got to have a drug to get by. You've got to have a drink to get by. You've got to have a smoke to get by. You've got to have something that, that, that is going to alter your state of your mind to get by. Amen. So today, this is the same spirit that our brothers and sisters of Philadelphia were fighting. There's stats that you can look up, and I have a whole bunch more, but I'm going to pass by them just for the sake of time. But today, we're battling this. That's the idolatry and the spirit of the age. When you look at Philadelphia, it's important to understand their geography and the agriculture around them as well. The land around Philadelphia was rich and fertile. It was known by its crops. It had great great crops. It was also, and still to this day, is known by its vineyards and its wines. The land was fertile because of the volcanic mineral rich soil that was around it. Rich soil that, that, that would help these plants to grow was also a, a danger to them because of the volcanic area that was around them. Earthquakes were common. In AD 17, a massive earthquake struck Philadelphia and destroyed the city in A.D. 17. Rome, that would have been during the time of Christ, Rome helped rebuild the city, but the earthquake was so powerful that aftershocks happened for 20 years. Rome decided, we're not going to tax Philadelphia, we're going to rebuild the city, and they would rebuild it, and they'd get it built up, and then another aftershock would come, and it would destroy it, and they'd have to build it back up. They were constantly dealing with the unsettledness and the uncertainty of a land that was constantly shifting around them. No wonder they wanted to worship Bacchus, because they were dealing with a lot. Let's look at this letter. Let's jump right to it. Y'all okay? That's a lot of history. But it helps me understand where I'm at and what we're dealing with in the, in the letter to Philadelphia. 
In Revelation, it says in chapter 3 and verse 7, And to the angel, everybody say the pastor, of the church of Philadelphia, write these things, saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, of David, he openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. So he begins with his presentation, amen, that's his revelation. He provides uh, the church of Philadelphia four revelations of who he is. Number one, he is the holy one. He is holy. He is holy. Somebody say he's holy. That means he's perfect. There's nothing unjust about him. There's nothing unrighteous about him. There is no darkness in him. There is no lie in him. He is holy. Revelation tells us that John saw uh, the four beasts around the throne in chapter 4, and they were crying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Can I ask you who's sitting on that throne? Who's sitting on the throne? The one that said that he was holy. Amen. And, it's, and the angels are saying around the throne to Jesus that sits upon the throne, Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. That ought to be enough scripture right there to realize that he's not just a man. Whew. He is holy. There's a time that Jesus met a man with an unclean spirit and that spirit cried out and said, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Acts even records in chapter 4 that Jesus is called the Holy Child. John calls him the Holy One, the Holy One, holy, set apart, a cut above, one of a kind. There's none like him. God's holiness is based on his fundamental character and nature. He is holy. Amen. His acts are holy. His character is holy. Amen. The Lord said, I am the Lord and I change not. He's holy. Amen. God says that he is holy and that is consistent with who he is. He's holy. Holy. So he reveals to this church that needs some stability He is holy. Number two, he is true. Everybody say he's true. Jesus is the one who is the truth. Pilate looked at Jesus and he asked him, what is truth? And truth was staring him dead in the face. Didn't even stay around long enough to find out. I want to tell you that there can be things in this world that are factual, but they're not true. They're factual, but they're not true. There's enough false in our world. There's enough lies and hyperbole and just people pushing flat out fakeness. But Jesus is true. He cannot and he will not lie. Somebody say he cannot and he will not lie to me. He's not a liar. He's not a fake. And he's the one that opens the door and he's the one that closes the door. How does he do that? He's got the key of David. That's number three. Revelation, he has the key of David. You will find this referenced in the book of Isaiah where he said in 22 and 22, and the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulder so he shall open and none shall shut. And he shall shut and none shall open. A good Jew would understand exactly what Jesus was saying is that who he was. It is a messianic term that he's the one that can open and he's the one that can shut. He provides
provides the open door. He provides the authority. He has the, the power and the key. Amen. Matthew recorded that Jesus said, all power in heaven and earth is given unto me. No matter the opposition, Ephesus, no matter the opposition, Smyrna, no matter the opposition, Pergamon, no matter the opposition at Thyatira, no matter the opposition at Sardis, no matter the opposition at Philadelphia, no matter the opposition at Medora, no matter the opposition at Seymour, no matter the opposition in Brown County, no matter the opposition in Louisville and Indianapolis, no matter the opposition, he said, I am the one who has the key. And the one who has the key can open and shut the door. That's the fourth revelation. He said, I, I am the one that can open. He said, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door. No man can shut it, for thou hast a little strength and hast kept my word and hast not denied my name. Amen. Everybody say an open door. Open door. He's the God of the open door. What is the open door? It's an opportunity for ministry. It is an opportunity for evangelism. It is the opportunity for discipleship making. It's an opportunity to preach the gospel. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 12, it says, Furthermore, Paul said, When I come to Troy as to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was open." unto me or of the Lord. A door was open unto me of the Lord. So that means an open door is an opportunity to serve in ministry. He also, Paul also said that he lingered one time in Ephesus and he writes this in to the letter uh, to the Corinthians, but he said that a great door and an effectual was open to him. That there was a door that opened. So he stayed at Ephesus for a period of time. Paul also wrote to the Colossians and said that he prayed that God would open unto them a door of utterance. It's an open door. Can I tell you, if every door is shut in your face for ministry, it might be a reason. Because God's waiting to open the door. God is waiting to open the door. I was on the phone for a little while today with a, a very dear brother in the Lord, and he's, he's dealing with this. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know where I'm supposed to go. I, I, don't, I don't know what. And here's what he said. I remember what you told me years ago. Just keep doing the last thing God told you to do. And God opens the door. and nobody going to shut it. But if you use a crowbar and push it open and push it open and push it open, it'll slam right back in your face. God will open the door. Turn to somebody and tell them, God wants to open the door for you. God wants to open the door. Hallelujah. Notice, notice in Acts chapter 14 and 27, the Bible says, And when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he, how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. God is the one that opens the door. We don't have to push it. We just got to follow him until that door opens. The door opens by God. The door to ministry opens by God. The door of opportunity is opened by God. Just keep doing what you're doing until it does.
All right, let's get to the potential problem, the issue with Philadelphia. Revelation 3 and 8. The Lord said, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it, for thou hast little strength. Ooh, way to encourage us, Jesus. Y'all weak church. Y'all a weak church. Now, this is a church that he really makes no, no complaint about, but he does call them little strength. But you have kept my word and hast not denied my name. Jesus knows the works. Jesus knows what they're doing. They're at an open door. God has given to them the open door. They have revival and victory, and the gospel is being proclaimed. Souls are being saved. Disciples are being made. The door to the Jewish community is being opened. There was a huge synagogue there at Philadelphia with a lot of hoity-toity types of, of Hebrewdom that were there, and they had a special privilege to worship uh, in, in the synagogue and not to say that, that Caesar was Lord. They had a special privilege, but the door was open and all of a sudden there were Jews that were being saved. There were Jews that were being baptized in Jesus' name. And God opened the door to the Jewish community, community but then he also opened the door to, the, to the, those that were indigenous to that place. But then he said, you're nothing special Ouch. You're nothing special, but you got an open door. You lack resources, but you have an open door. <laughs> Praise be to God. You're not wealthy like Laodicea, the church down the road, but you have an open door. I had rather be a church with little resources, not a lot of talent, and a weakness that we can't overcome by the flesh than to be a church that's loaded with resources and not doing the work of God. My father years ago went to preach at a church in, in another state, and uh, that pastor was bragging, we have enough money to fill up three banks. Enough money to fill up three banks. My goodness, liquidate that and start giving the missions. Put it in the kingdom of God. God is not impressed by how many dollars we have in the bank account. He's impressed by our good stewardship. Yes, that's what we need to be is good stewards with what we have. But God is not impressed by our abundance when it comes to money and resources and talent. What gets him is people that are nothing to nobodies and still go after it in the open door mentality. God, you open the door. I don't know how to do this, but here we go. I don't know how to make this happen, but here we go. The door's open. I'm going in it. Don't have the talent, don't have the money, don't have the resources, but it's an open door. That's why Philadelphia, I think, has the heart of God so greatly. <clears throat> Author Paul Ellis in his book on the seven letters says this, if you were to tour the churches of Asia, you would be dazzled by the energetic actions of Ephesus, or the Ephesians, the affluence of the Laodiceans, the spirituality of the Sidonians, and you might be tempted to, to dismiss Philadelphia as inconsequential. But Philadelphia was where the action was. <laughs> I want to be where the action is, don't you? Jesus, he went on to say, 
had given this little church an open door that nobody could shut. Nobody could shut. Don't have money, but they kept his word. Don't have a reputation, but they didn't deny his name. Have no education, but they kept the faith. They had no connections and networks, but they were still true. Why? God give them an open door. Could it be the reason they had an open door was because they kept his word and because they did not deny his name. Ephesus, he said, don't forsake my name. Or In Pergamon, they held fast his name. But in Philadelphia, he said, you didn't deny my name. Jesus, the name of power. Jesus, the name of glory. Jesus, the only saving name. Can you worship Jesus right here, right now? In the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Then he said in verse 9, Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan. Didn't he say that in another church called the synagogue of Satan? What, what church was that? Y'all remember? Just a couple churches back. Or so, maybe it's Perkamon. I'll have to go back and look that back up, but okay, so that's Satan's seat. All right. Well, he's saying, he said, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Then he said, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. Let that sink in. First of all, open doors attract opposition. If you want to do a work for God, if we want to do a work for God as a church, it will attract opposition primarily from religious people. Religious people don't like folks that are walking in an open door. Hmm. The problem is you got the spirit of Pharisee and hypocrisy on these Hebrews. They, they reject, rejected the church in Philadelphia because they were the church across the tracks. Anybody remember that? Remember the day? Does anybody remember the day we was known as the church across the tracks? You remember the day when the Pentecostal apostolics was known as those old crazy holy rollers? Remember that day? Well, now we've become sophisticated and we're more uptown and we've got all the, all the blessings and all that kind of stuff. That's kind of the way the Jews of, that were religious but not true followers, they were the ones that were saying, oh, look at those people there. They ain't nothing. They're nobody. Amen. They were rejected out of hand because of their lack and littleness. But what they didn't know is that the power and authority of Jesus Christ was in that church. And it is that power and authority of Jesus Christ that will open the eyes of those that once fought them and show them that this church has got something. And it says that they will come and worship at their feet. It does not say that they will worship them, but it says they will come and worship. How many people that once said, I'll never be an apostolic, 
I'll never go to that church. I'll never be that have come and then said, oh, thank God, and fall at their feet and began to worship the Lord because God had opened up their eyes. Praise God. Sister Bev got his hand backed up there. I know because I know that she said that come out of her mouth. I'll never be this. I'll never go there. I'll never do that. But if you look at that scripture, he also says that they may know that I love you. I'm going to show you the love of God. Show you the love of God in their life. Somebody say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Y'all ready a little bit more? Y'all want a little bit more or a whole lot more? More of you. We sung that a while ago, didn't we? I want more of you. Well, here I come. <laughs> Look at verse 10, Revelation 3.10. He said, Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I will keep thee from the hour of temptation. Notice one word that stands out in this text, and that is the word from. <clears throat> he didn't say, I will keep you in. I w- but y'all can sh- sit down. Don't shout so much. But he said, I'll keep you from. There are some things that God wants to keep us from if we'll hold on to his word, if we'll hold fast his name, if we'll hold, out, hold fast his, the, the, the word of his patience or perseverance. He said, I will keep you from the hour of testing, which shall come upon all the world and try them that dwelleth upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly, hold fast, which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. What is the crown? A crown is good enough. It's not, I don't believe he's talking about uh, uh, salvation here, but rather I believe he's talking about the crown of victory and overcoming and not being in the test. He's going to keep us from, there are some things that are coming upon this world that, brothers and sisters, he is going to not just keep us from, uh, through, but he's going to keep us from. He's going to hide us from we're not going to, the world will deal with it, but we're not going to deal with it because we have his name, because we have his word. So do what? Hold on, church. Hold on, church. Hold on, church. Steadfast. You see, the church at Philadelphia mirrored the, the, the ground that they lived on and worked on, and it was shifty and unstable. But he said, in an unstable world, in unstable times, hold on. Hold on. When it's crazy, hold on. When another pandemic comes, hold on. When your world falls apart, hold on. Praise God. Don't let anyone take your crown. Let's just name it. Hold on. What's your crown? Hold on. What am I holding on to? Jesus. All right. That leads us to our, this was their, their issues and their promise or problems, but now we come to the promise to the overcomer, and that is in verse 12. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar of the temple of my God. And they would know the importance of a pillar 
because of the roughness of the earthquakes. Mm. He said, I'll make you a pillar in the temple of my God. He shall go no more out, and I'll write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I'll write upon him my new name. I'll write upon him my new name. I will make, first of all, he gives a promise to the overcomer. He said, I'll make you a pillar. You may feel like you're frail and weak, but I'll set you up as a pillar. Amen. When Solomon built his temple, he built two pillars. Two pillars and he called one Jachin and the other Boaz. Jachin means God will establish. Boaz means in God's strength. Hallelujah. What is he saying? I'll make you a pillar when others are quaking and leaving and moving away. Amen. But if you'll overcome, I'm giving you the promise of stability. I'm giving you the promise of that you're going to stand. And not only stand, you're going to support. You're going to support. You're going to support the house of God. We often talk about pillars of the church. You know who makes good pillars? Weak people that walk through an open door and trust God for the power that they need to serve him. It's those that feel like they're super talented. It's those that feel like that they got it all together is the ones you don't want as pillars. Now, you won't, might want them as landscape, but you don't want them as pillars. God takes those that are weak, and he said, I'll take the wisdom of the wise, and I'll blow their mind with that of the weak. I will make you a pillar. That's the promise. Who are pillars? Those that keep his word those who do not deny his name, and those that keep his word of perseverance. He said, and I will write upon them the name of my God, and I will, the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I'll write upon him my new name. He said, I'll write upon them the name of my God. What is he saying? The favor of the Father is upon you. The favor of the Father is upon you. You are highly favored, overcomer. You are highly favored. Open up and walk through that door. Hey, how many of you have had situations in your life where God opened up a job you didn't even go looking for? You were not even looking for, and God opens the door and you go back and say, I've been faithful to God, and he's provided for me in ways that I could not explain. Why? He, he lets me know that his name is upon me. His name is upon me. His favor is upon me. I'm going to stay true. I'm going to stay faithful. I'm going to stay full of conviction, and I'm going to believe God to open the door for me. He said, the name of the city of God is written upon them. That's the new Jerusalem. Ezekiel writes about the city of God. Matter of fact, I believe it's the last verse of Ezekiel where he says the city of God is called the Lord is there. The Lord is there. Amen. What happens with this special 
anointing and overcoming promise is that you become part of a free city known as the New Jerusalem. There's freedom, there's favor, and then there's freedom. And then finally we find that the name of Christ is written upon him. The name of Jesus Christ is on you. Somebody tell me when that happens. Woo! Amen. Listen to what Jesus said in Mark 16 and 17. And these signs shall follow them that believe in my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Hallelujah. Anybody know that that's the power of having his name? That's the power of having his name. Don't deny his word. Don't deny his faith. Amen. And, and be strong in endurance. He said, I'll give you that. And then he wrote, we find in John 14, Jesus said in verse 13, And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Folks, that is not some kind of little formula that we use, but it is saying in the character of the name, in the authority of the name, in the will of the name, I'm going to pray and I'm going to believe it in Jesus' name. Something about the name of Jesus. It's the sweetest name I know. It's the sweetest name I know. <clears throat> Praise God. We find that John records that the baptism of the Holy Spirit would come in his name. Peter and John went to pray in the name of Jesus, and the lame man was healed by his name, by his name. Hallelujah. Paul said, and whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. It is the highest name of all. It is the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. The psalmist said his name alone is excellent. The psalmist said that his name is a strong tower. The, uh, the word of the Lord declares that whosoever is going to be saved is going to call on the name of the Lord. You see, you might be weak, you might be frail, you may not have talent, you may not have ability, but you do have the name. And when you have the name on you, you have the authority to baffle those around you because the open door. Then he said, the scripture declares, Paul did to the Philippians 2 and 9. Wherefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Sorry, Caesar. Every Caesar, from the first dude to the last dude, is going to have to bend their knee one day before the white throne judgment and say, he's Lord. He's Lord. All those that denounced and denied will do the same. But to those that overcome, to those that overcome a weak mentality, to those that overcome the instability of times, to those that overcome hypocrites, that attack to those that overcome in the times of intense testing. He said, 
you'll wear his name. You might look at my my brown checkered jacket. You might see my striped shirt and my brown pants. But somewhere in this Well, you just call me whatever you want to. But somewhere in this, this vicinity, on this person, is the name above all names. I don't know where he looks at me, Brother Larry, and he sees that name. I don't know where that is, whether it's on my head, my forehead. But I have his name. I wear his name. Stop talking about how little you are, how bad it is, how horrible it is, how you don't have this resort and, and you're living in, in Medora and you're doing this and you're working this job and hallelujah. Square your shoulders up and say, I'm looking for the open door. I'm looking for the favor of God. Stand to your feet. I'm looking for the open door. I'm looking for God to, to bring me where I need to be in the precious name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Come on and lift your hands. Thank you for listening to the MPC podcast. We trust that today's message has inspired you, encouraged you, and strengthened you in the Lord. We would like to invite you to join us again by simply subscribing to our podcast And we encourage you to write a review if it has been a blessing to you. Again, you can find us at medorachurch.com to learn more about our ministry.